personal finances nerved me out. Uh, um, and I guess it all started with my personal finances first. Um, like I said earlier, I was, uh, to be exact, it was $210,711. And um, I won't say the change. That's too much nerdiness. But uh, that was a huge mess. Four years, 10 months later, me and my wife was debt free. And now that I've proven this plan, I want to share it with others. When you can figure out your why, you can do anyhow. Mental wealth became a five-step process, purpose, plan, people, persistence, and the last thing was prayer. Welcome to the Improvement Nerds podcast, where it's our goal to bring together a bunch of improvement nerds in order to start and improve evolution by providing people with a new tool set, a new skill set, and a new mindset. We're grateful that you're spending time with us today. If you enjoy what you hear, please follow our podcast and subscribe because there's sure to be good content that occurs in these conversations as we nerd out. Money doesn't have a personality per se. It's the personality of the holder. So if I'm happy and I'm at peace and I use my money to sow seeds of good, that energy from me carried through my money goes to that person, goes to that organization. Um, Now, on the flip side of that, which is why money is dangerous, you got people who are greedy. You got people who are selfish. So you're going to have some negativity stem from some money. Hey, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom. I'm back with another episode of the Improvement Nerds podcast. Today, I've got a guest that I'm real excited to share with you who will be talking about how your mindset is a critical asset when it comes to managing your own assets. So that's a nerdy word to say. Uh, We got an individual who's going to come and talk about financial well-being and uh, talk about this topic that he's coined as mental wealth. So I'm going to allow him to jump on here with me and introduce himself. So ladies and gentlemen, I give you Jeremiah Reed. Jeremiah, thanks for joining us. Hey, no, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being on the Um, podcast. And I just want to introduce myself. My name is Jeremiah Reed. I am the author of the book Mental Wealth, which will be physically out in July, but you can pre-order now. Um, A little bit about myself. Average person kind of grew up in the region area of Indiana, which is East Chicago, Indiana. Um, Single parent household. um, Very great life as far as academics. I was a valedictorian of my high school. Uh, went to the Kelly School of Business, graduated there, did extremely well. And all of that smartness, as I was a book nerd, led to some poor uh, decisions financially. Um, I ended up racking up $200,000 uh, of debt, me and my wife. So then I found myself in like a, a rut. And I always had a passion for uh, finances, but I guess I never really applied it to my life. So. Being a nerd, being a learner, um, I started studying people who are great at personal finance, and that birthed a a passion of mine to kind of help set people free. Yeah, you and I, we we have similar paths in some ways. I grew up in Lake Station, so I and my family lived there from the time I was in first grade to sixth grade, and then... um, uh, in the sixth grade, we moved, and I then took up residence in Crown Point. But the the region 
not very many people when they hear that know what it is and the people who didn't grow up there, they don't get the emotional response that people do. Like when you said, Hey, I'm from the region, like automatically I knew your roots and my roots and the values we were raised on were, you know, one and the same because in that area uh, it's a great place to grow up. You've got access to, you know, Chicago, you've got access to the lake, there's a lot of things to do to to keep your mind busy and to, you know, allow a kid to be a kid. But, you know, outside of being a kid there, there that industry, at least when I grew up, the steel mill industry and, and whatnot was suffering. So our parents, you know, in large part, that was the work, that was the, the, the main employers, the economic driver of that area. So whether they worked there or they worked somewhere else, their jobs were likely impacted. And I, I never really saw it. My parents definitely uh, just were of the type that worked really, really hard and wanted to provide for us. And so I never really got to see the what it was like to, to work in that type of environment um, because they sheltered us from it. But our upbringings, I know, were in some ways a challenge because our parents in that, in that area, it was a grind sometimes. And I'm thankful that they you know, yeah. rolled up their sleeves and they went to work for me because they provided a opportunity that I'm very blessed to have. And, but in that area, you know, our upbringings was all about work hard, play hard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my grand, I was raised by my grandparents um, for a, a bit while my mom was in college, but my grandfather worked at the steel mill for 50 years before he retired. And, um, I seen the graveyard shifts and 14, 16 hour days he put in working in the strap yard, coming home, getting right back up. So it was definitely that type of environment. I remember as a little kid. Yeah. Very gritty. Like that they would persevere. They never really showed, um, you know, their level of stress. You knew it was stressful, but they still went in and worked hard and served their organizations well and and gave them the best work that they could in order to provide for us. So like for me, I um, naturally come about wanting to do stuff to the best of my ability and to give everything my best effort because that's what I saw my parents doing. And I'm assuming that's your grandparents, your mother, you know, with you being young, making the decision to go back to school, that was sacrifice. Those things weren't easy to do. So you know, I'm sure that left impressions on you as a kid and those things play out in your life now. Yeah, definitely. It really does. And I think that really birthed the passion just to be a learner, to be a book nerd, per se, because I don't know about you, Tom, but I wasn't for the grit. Um, I seen how hard my grandfather worked and I was like, nah, I really don't want that lifestyle for myself. And he encouraged me um, to go beyond and really, you know, take advantage of school because my grandfather graduated. Well, not graduated, I should say, but he dropped out of school in sixth grade. Um, he left Tennessee, moved to Chicago, worked in a steel mill, lied on his application, and he was working. You know, could have been an eighth grader, but he was in the steel mills working. And back then, you know, HR was a lot looser. <laughs> you can put anything on your application. But yeah, it was pretty crazy, man. And he really pushed me to go beyond that. He wanted more um, for me than what he experienced. The exact same thing. My parents, they 
it was unwavering that it, we, when we became older, so I'm a, of a family of five, they, it was very clear for my parents that you were either to serve your country by enlisting in the military is one avenue you would take, or you'd advance your education. And for me, I, you know, my brother, he chose military. He's, you know, after the military, he got his degree and he's now uh, is working in the steel mill. He's uh, their emergency medical response uh, person there. So, you know, his journey to advance his education looked slightly different, but that, you know, investing in yourself, new knowledge was a touchstone for us. And my parents made sure we knew that that's the pathway they wanted, that they were pushing us towards. And I'm thankful for their encouragement. I was, um, my parents didn't complete their college degrees. I was the first generation uh, to get the degree. So I'm thankful that my parents put that in my mind and that I could do something like that. And I'm blessed to have been able to go to school and to have met all the amazing people that I met while at university. Like they become in some ways like an extended family to me because I, I ran in school and I met people who had similar roots and different roots. And I learned, you know, uh, that life, it looks different for a lot of different, for a lot of people. And the best thing you can do is to, cherish that about those people and to cherish who you are and to show up and work together to, you know, advance whatever goal you were working on, whether it was to win a, a race or place in the conference or vol- coordinate volunteer efforts around your college campus. You know, I just learned at school that teamwork makes the dream work in some ways. So thankful that that's where I was nudged. So yeah. you're with you're with us today. And we're going to nerd out about your passion for helping individuals understand the importance of financial literacy. And you call this mental wealth. So I want, I want you to tell us all about that. So I'm going to stage it here with the question, Jeremiah, what nerds you out? Personal finances nerd me out, Tom. Um, and I guess it all started with my personal finances first. Um, like I said earlier, I was, uh, to be exact, it was $210,711. And um, I won't say the change, that's too much nerdiness. But uh, that was a huge mess. And I personally knew that I was too smart to have something like that happen. And um, I talked to my wife, we sat down and I was like, hey, we're going to do the Dave Ramsey plan. But logically, that did not work for me. Uh, the snowball effect when I could have did avalanche and saved money on interest, uh, living extremely on like on rice and beans and things like that. I just wasn't 100% so on the entire process. And so that's what led to me to kind of create my own. And so mental wealth was birthed to be like a holistic, principle-based um, process for you to win with money. And it all started with your mindset because that was the first thing that clicked with me. And what I learned in school was when you can figure out your why, you can do anyhow. So those should be no different for your personal finances. And so we sat down, me and my wife, and we wrote our purpose out. Um, we made it visible. We made it plain. Um, we put it on the wall. Um, it was very important for us to understand why we wanted to get out of debt 
and why we wanted to be free because there was so much options out there um, and we wanted better things for our children. So after that, it was very easy for me to create a plan. And um, my uh, nine to five job, I've always been in management. So I had the privilege to work for large corporations, family owned businesses. And one thing that I've seen them do is they had annual budgets. They had quarterly meetings. And why wasn't I doing those things for my family or myself? So I kind of mimicked my plan um, for a company, corporate company. And I found great success in that. And it allowed me to be more flexible, uh, more nimble. I was able to pivot when needed because I saw the bigger picture, not just the month-to-month budget. I always knew the end game. And um, that was very, very big for me. It was a game changer. And the next part of mental wealth was people. So when you listen to financial gurus like Dave Ramsey or Robert Kiyosaki, they kind of mention it, but they don't put that in the process, per se. And being a nerd, I started analyzing the people in my circle, did a squad analysis. And that taught me who I needed for supporters, who needed to be cheerleaders, who needed not to be, um, you know, in my circle while I was trying to accomplish this goal. And it just began to blossom. Um, so mental wealth became a five-step process, purpose, plan, people, persistence, and the last thing was prayer um, for me. And four years, 10 months later, me and my wife was debt-free. And now that I've proven this plan, I want to share it with others. What a journey that you've been on. You, you knew it was something that you wanted to address and it, it was something you were willing to spend time and energy on. And it sounds like you found yourself using tools and techniques that maybe others had promoted and they'd experienced success using. So I know a lot of individuals have used Ramsey very successfully and he does great things for those individuals. And, but I, he also knows it's not for everyone. And I think, you know, um, that's true of any, any approach is that it's got to work for that individual in order for it to actually work. So it sounds like, you know, your first attempt, maybe even multiple attempts, you didn't feel the fit and that, that uneasiness, that kind of tension between what the products were that were available and what you needed created this um, amazing opportunity for you to fill that void. And you're, it, it sounds like, you know, your creativity came in and allowed you to, you know, create something that worked for you that, you know, wasn't really represented anywhere else. So I'm a lot of people when they face opposition like that, like, oh, this is good and it works for everyone, but it, it didn't work for me. Oh, well, you know, I can't ever overcome this beast because the best in the market wasn't something that created success for me. So I give up. So kudos to you for being persistent and not giving up. And then also kudos for bringing your your creativity to this process to say, well, I'm not giving up. I just have to find the way my own way. And sometimes people do that and they do overcome pretty big obstacles. And they're like, okay, yeah, that was great. And then just stop there versus you've, you've achieved. And now you're saying, how do I be a messenger uh, of this and how do I help others through something I'd come up that has been helpful for me so that's a servant's heart for sure is to you know take 
take it and to put it out there and be open to however the world's going to receive it. Cause that could be pretty scary putting ideas out in the universe. Cause oftentimes our ideas are incomplete or flawed or still kind of ugly. They're not really polished. They're rough around the edges, but we're putting them out there in order for people to help us polish them in some ways. And sometimes, you know, the, the feedback isn't always positive. So I know a lot of people who have great ideas never put them out there because they're afraid of how it's going to be received. So that's another part of what makes you special is you're putting incomplete thoughts out there because you, you believe that those need to be present because people are facing challenges right now without the resources to actually be successful. And you're willing to take the risk to meet those people where they're at to help them. So that's huge. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Definitely very true. Yeah. So I know that uh, getting yourself out there, you've got a book. It's coming out in July. I heard you say that. We'll make sure that um, we, you know, as we launch this podcast together, uh, we we get all the links and the resources packaged so that people listening to this who want to find you have those connection points so that they can follow your journey and create relationships with you. But outside of your book, you're also doing a handful of other activities. And I want to kind of revisit those things. So you right now, your your current profession, you're in leadership within a workforce recruiting organization. And, you know, in our prep for this, you were sharing that some of the um, big organizations, specifically in distribution and supply chain right now, they're booming and they're hiring a lot of people. So you and your team, you're trying to satisfy that that need. So I want to talk about that a little bit, but then I also want to talk about your webinars and what you're doing uh, to continue to serve others. So let's talk about your current work. You're leading a team of recruiters and you're helping to recruit a workforce and, and place a workforce to satisfy this huge need in distribution right now as our nation's facing a COVID-19 pandemic. And a lot of people are buying goods online and having them shipped to their home because you can't go to the store. So retailers like Target and Walmart and Amazon, they're recruiting in massive amounts right now. And you, you guys are trying to meet that demand. But tell me how, how you're doing that, but what you're doing beyond just doing that. Yeah, definitely, Tom. So I've been blessed. I work with um, a private company now, family-owned business, the Morales Group. Awesome company. Um, and they gave me kind of the autonomy to lead the way um, I see fit. So one thing that I do is a little bit different. Um, I want to make sure that my recruiters, when they're selling the position, whether it's Walmart, Target, or any client, we explain the numbers for them. Because especially during the crisis moment, what we're experiencing right now with COVID-19, people are more prone to just be desperate and take anything. But in the process of taking anything, that might not be the best thing for them. Financially, it might be stressful, 45 minutes away, but they're going to say yes because they are fearful and they don't have anything. But I want to make sure my recruiters do the homework on the back end and then on the front end present to the potential teammates to work with us all the cases so they can make an intelligent decision, not a fearful decision. And hopefully what that does is not only impacts them financially, but also sets them up to rebound after this crisis is over 
or leverage this job they have with us to get to a better job, ultimately a career. And I think it all starts with making smart decisions. And back to your your own journey, when you talked about mindset, it's in a time of crisis, everyone, um, due to the uncertainty, they're acting and behaving in ways that they normally wouldn't. But but sometimes um, maybe they're acting the only way they know how. So your mindset, the beliefs you have and how you live your life oftentimes has been a series of events that have played out and things you've watched in your own upbringing that have formed your own belief system. So oftentimes our mindset is the stories we tell ourselves and the things we believe we're capable of doing. So that even absence of a crisis, there are people out there who have in their upbringing um, seen things or experienced things that have caused them to limit the beliefs that they have about their own abilities. So that's one piece of this is this mindset. It, it definitely is important during time of crisis, but it's important all the time to assess how am I showing up? What do I think? How, what are my beliefs? What are the things I value? And how do those impact the next step I'm going to take? And so many individuals play small because that's all they've ever seen or known. And they don't have this ability to get out, out of their own way. And those limiting beliefs can really force them to make these decisions that get them in situations where it's not ideal. So you're helping them during a time of crisis, but you're also role modeling to them that, you know, just your past does not really define your future. You you can change your mindset and take the next step to start to rewrite those stories in your head and realize a different future and potential. So when you brought up mindset and now that you gave this example of how you're serving these these employees as they face this crisis. You, you are continuing to not just give them sound financial advice, but you're trying to challenge them to change their thinking. And that, that that's going to pay off huge. I, I appreciate that you said, yeah. like, we're not just concerned about this person's next job. We're, we're concerned about the situation they're in and how can we set them up to succeed now and into the future? And I don't think that's always true. I mean, sometimes that's short-sighted. And they're just acting in a transaction instead of trying to think bigger picture. So for you to role model that um, for your people that you lead, you're you're positioning them to be better servants too. So your work around mental wealth doesn't just show up in your book. It's showing up in how you lead your recruiting team and how you serve the recruits that your recruiting team are trying to hire. That's so awesome. Yeah. And that kind of like, carries over into like my personal approach. I have a servant heart. And so something that I thought would be a great idea was host these webinars for free um, on Saturdays. Um, I thought of, hey, we're all quarantined. What can we do? And I thought about what can I do now to kind of leverage and still serve people? And the webinars came into mind. So um, back in April, um, it was more financial based because it was financial literacy month. And we tackled things like defining your financial purpose, facing financial fears, love and money, how to handle that with a significant other, um, how to build a budget. And then now as we transition into May, um, we're moving into more of the mental health side because 
A lot of financial issues bring depression and anxiety. So we're looking at, hey, how do you handle the anxiety or depression from being laid off or being you know, fired from a job or waiting for unemployment benefits and they haven't came yet? Um, also looking at just how do you handle like self-care and how that um, makes you feel and how does that impact your decisions? Just a lot of different uh, things like that that I'm trying to make sure I put out into society. I might not be able to help everyone, but if one person tunes in and they say that they were impacted in a positive way, I feel great about that. I love that energy because a lot of people who have a story to tell, they have become so accustomed to telling those stories and face-to-face type exchanges and their storytelling has has been really strong and they're uh, artistic and they have a great gift that because of this transition to where we can't be together physically, they're, they're not really taking their stories and finding a way to continue to tell them when we're virtual. And it sounds like, you know, for you, maybe you had those apprehensions of I've always done it this way and now I got to do it this way. um, But I got to do it. And I think more and more now we're seeing people start to move away from the initial shock factor of having their work have to look a little bit different. And now they're starting to think, how do I make the most of this? And in your situation, you're creating a, uh, I think you called it the Mental Wealth Academy during our prep session. So you've created an academy yep. of resources and videos and conversations that are are accessible now, but because you put the content out there in the universe, they're they're accessible going forward. And your impact isn't just what who encountered them right now during this time in in the in the world and the snapshot of all the challenges we face today um but they're out there for people when they need them i i was on another episode and it was either me or them who had said you know when when the student is ready to learn the teacher will arrive and i think for right now hey if people aren't in a position where they can have these conversations i totally get it like there's a lot of uncertainty and maybe thinking about this stuff would put certain people over the edge. Um, but there are certain people who are ready to embark on this journey and you've got it out there now that, that you can be their, their, their shepherd as they walk it. And anyone then who, you know, benefits from it, they're going to help promote it to the next person, the next person. And you've got this flywheel like effect. So I, I think, the amount of energy you're bringing to the challenge to say, I'm going to put it out there and we're going to serve people in this way is the right mindset to have when you're facing uncertainty is, you know, find, find the next way in which you can serve. And if you look at it that way, like how much can I give that that's going to be very motivating. And definitely I can see that at play in the way that you're showing up right now is I want to continue to serve. How, what's the best way I can do that? Yep, definitely. And I believe everyone, that's the beauty of personal finance, because once you figure out all your cylinders and you get to rolling consistently, you have so many options and it opens up so many doors, either for you to invest in yourself and your passion and your gifts, but you can pour that back out into the world or it just opens up avenues for you to bless people and help other people reach their potential. 
Um, yeah. So it's a real big deal. Personal finance is really the glue to everything. I um, am getting there myself. So, you know, has my, my upbringing, we shared that we both grew up in the region, you know, was likely very stressful for my parents and we didn't come from much, but I know we came for a lot more than what other people had in that area. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that privilege. Um, but because they never talked about it, I didn't know much about money. So I made up stuff myself and in some ways, uh, and I, I think a lot of people probably did this also in some ways I told myself that money was bad in that was somewhat, that's because I lacked the information to actually make an informed decision about what money was. And then when I was most impressionable during my my years at school, we had the economic downturn because of poor financial stewardship and corrupt business practice. So then I even started to resent money even more because of what it, um, what it did to the housing economy and what it did in the insurance and banking industries, like I just, you know, told myself I never wanted money. And then somewhere along the way, I encountered a, a, a book that challenged the way I thought about money. And they, and then I think this is probably something that you would agree with is they said that it's the exchange of energy between people. So how do you, for, for you, talk a little bit about how you define money and just revisit so, real quickly what people can, what you can do with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, similar to you, I ran across a book called Happy Money. Uh, and in this book, it discussed like money doesn't have a personality per se. It's the personality of the holder. So if I'm happy and I'm at peace and I use my money to sow seeds of good, that energy from me carried through my money goes to that person goes to that organization. Um, now on the flip side of that, which is why money is dangerous. You got people who are greedy. You got people who are selfish. So you're going to have some negativity stem from some money, but that's not all money. And what we have to be careful is, is our mindset about the money that we can't have a poverty mindset and we can't have a selfish mindset and we can't have what I call a hater mindset. And that's when you just like hate money because you think it's evil, like everything is bad. But in reality, you need money. Money is a good thing. Um, I remember the first time I was able to kind of help a homeless person. It wasn't much, but I gave them 10 bucks and they were extremely happy. That made me feel good. It made me wanting to do it again. But in order to do that, I had to generate more money. And so it clicked in me that day like, hey, Money is not what people make it seem. It's what you make it seem. And you control that definition. And I believe that it's that transfer of positive energy if you're the one doing good with the money. So that's my take on money. And when I coach families or individuals, I try to create that happy mindset, that giver mindset in people so they can see the goodness of money and not focus on the scarcity of money. Because when you think money is scarce, it's not a lot of it. You hoard it. You become very tight with it. And you really don't experience money for the goodness when you do that. Yeah, I love everything you just said there. And I think the, what you're doing, the service you're providing is 
very necessary because a lot of people do fear money or resent it. And because of that, they can find themselves in situations where money becomes a bigger problem had they chose to manage their relationship with the money and realize that they have the ability to make it better and to do good things through it. And I think individuals who found themselves in, in you know, financial situations due to borrowing um, excessively or, or, or things completely out of their control, such as a medical event that has caused bills or whatever, there are situations in which the financial mountain gets unbearable, but you're never going to scale it if you resent it. You're going to have to take and, and say, I, I'm the master of this and I can redefine this relationship and I can control this part of my life and you overcome these obstacles and then get on the other side of it to where I can use money now for good instead of feel like it, it owns me, I can own it. Exactly. So thank you. So much, so much good insights were provided during this conversation and probably too many ways we've discussed in which people can follow your journey. But I, so I want to revisit those because we haven't like packaged them all and said, here's how you can find me. So individuals listening to this who want to find you, let's let's put it back out there how they can do that. Yeah, it's really simple. So I got a website called JeremiahReed.com. So literally my name, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H-R-E-E-D.com. Um, there you can find information about the book. And also, too, I got some free resources for people as well. And then also, too, I'm on LinkedIn as Jeremiah Reed. And I'm on Instagram as mental underscore wealth underscore advisor um and then facebook is just jeremiah reed so uh just look for jeremiah i'm always open for dms or anything uh comment on a picture i post i make sure i talk to every single person um i'm just a regular guy i'm not a, a guy way at the top i'm a guy that uh is also at the bottom one quote i want to leave um just for people to remember even when you cross the barrier and you become financially free is even though you might be at the pinnacle or high point in your life, don't lose the common touch. It's a lot of people out there that aren't there yet and you have to be patient with them. You have to practice grace and uh, it's my mission to help them. And for you, that might not be your call, but just be patient with them. Yeah. What a what a great way to bring this episode to a close. And I hope that people listening to this, they start to believe that they're capable of changing their relationship with money. And if they need a partner in that, I hope that they reach out to you because it's obvious that it's a passion of yours and you're going to approach the situation with them as they need you to show up in their life. So what a great resource. And thank you so much for being our guest. I can't wait to watch how this uh, episode is received and how individuals uh, partner with you to do some things that maybe they didn't think were possible. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. It's been great. Thanks for tuning into this episode with Jeremiah and I. 
I am thankful for him coming on to this episode and sharing his insights about the importance of focusing on your mindset in order to better manage your money. I can't help but think about how that same principle applies to organizations. It's obvious that organizations are facing unique challenges right now with the COVID pandemic causing unprecedented pressures on individuals to be more financially conscious and careful with how they're spending money. It's very easy in an environment like that to be short-sighted and just be thinking about what's going to be happening in the next three to six months and maybe at most a year. But we need organizations to be thinking more long-term, to be visionaries, and to be trying to help us through their services and through their products and the attitudes in which they carry themselves. I believe that if individuals at the top of those organizations who make these budgetary decisions are fearful right now and are short-sighted right now, that energy is going to carry into the way that they make their investments and how they spend their money, and those things could be problematic. We need leadership right now. We need individuals who are not fearful but in some ways are looking for where the opportunities exist within these current challenges and are willing to take risk and to make investments to turn those opportunities into action and those actions into benefit of the greater good. I hope that this episode has caused you to rethink your relationship with money. Whether it is your individual budget or your organizational budget, please understand that if you can think positively about how that money can be invested to create good, it will. 